because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media on Twitter at Bball Immersion or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach, is super excited today to have Joe Gallo with us, the head coach of Merrimack College. And uh, Coach was just named Coach of the Year by the NEC. And uh, this is Merrimack College's inaugural season in Division I athletics. And they kicked butt. They had the best inaugural season ever for a team that transitioned uh, from Division II to Division One. And uh, prior to that, obviously, tons of success at the NCAA Division II level as well with three consecutive tournament appearances and coached in the fourth year at Merrimack. And uh, Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I am a uh, avid listener. I actually was just uh, listening to Phil Beckner's about a half hour ago uh, on on out on a run. So I uh, I've been listening to a lot of your stuff, and I uh, really appreciate you having me on. Well, tremendous to have you on, and uh, I've enjoyed just our short time connecting together. And uh, you know, two good things about that: one, you're listening to the podcast, and two, you're running. So uh, that's that's cool too. So, uh, Coach, let's start with Merrimack College. It stands for Make Chaos. What does that mean? Yeah, so that was um, a, a little actually. My, my assistant coach Phil Gaetano kind of came up with that this past year, and uh, we were almost just trying to brand, uh, you know, what we do defensively. Uh, and, and, you know, I know we, we're going to get into the, the zone that we play and, uh, you know, we really hang our hat on uh, creating a lot of turnovers and, and getting a lot of steals and um, really making chaos and the way it kind of fit with our MC logo. We just kind of put the little initials under there with the make chaos. And, uh, you know, we, we had a we have what we call MC points, which are make chaos points is something that we, we chart each game and in our live defensive segments that our players have bought into. I actually uh, sitting right next to me, I'll, I'll send you a picture. I got a huge uh, run DMC type chain, almost like the Miami hurricane <laughs> a turnover chain with a make chaos that our players haven't even truly seen yet that we're going to break out, uh, you know, hopefully what, what is of this coming year. So uh, but that's what it is. And, and, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with, with, in scramble situations, you know, we were, if you look at us compared to a lot of zone teams, we don't give up a whole lot of three point attempts. Um, and as you could imagine, that's going to lead to some, you know, driving of the ball and some of what we call punctures. So, um, where that would kind of lead to scrambles, uh, for most people, we kind of practice those scrambles and get comfortable in that chaos. And, you know, we, we feel like we're, we're making chaos. Uh, on our opponent, but with us, there's some structure within that chaos. Well, the obvious question is, do they know who Run DMC is? Uh, <laughs> I do. Old school meets new school, which is awesome. I love that. I love that you're connecting that. And uh, you, coach, you talked about limiting three pointers, and I want to dive into that because I think that's one of the most important things that I think comes from your defense and certainly in this modern era. And maybe people don't think of that as the two, three zone, but before we get there, let's just, let's just talk about why zone, why zone for you guys? Cause it's been incredible successful, but why did you start off with zone? Yeah. You know, I, I got the job. So the, the zone we play, um, we did play it uh, for, for two years when I was Andy tools assistant at uh, Robert Morris. And we were, uh, you know, Andy is a, as good as a man-to-man -man, um, 
coach as I've seen or been around. And uh, we just started off in one year in the non-conference. I forget the exact record, two and six, two and seven. We were struggling to guard. We were, were fouling a lot. It was one of those first years where they really just started calling everything. Um, and, and we ended up, uh, a, a guy by the name of R.C. Kehoe was the head coach of Holy Family Division II School in Philadelphia, and he played it. He had some Syracuse ties. Uh, and we got him on the phone after a, a loss, I believe, at Youngstown State. Um, and, you know, we were talked for a couple hours and just kind of got the basic slides down. And um, we had a week before our next game, and we kind of just took it and ran with it. And we had great success. We, uh, you know, we won a, a regular season championship with it and then also uh, – won an, an NEC conference tournament and Andy has since gone back to man, but I, I loved it. Um, I loved teaching it. I thought uh, it, it was really a lot simpler than people would think. It took a lot of scouting out of it and, and people struggled to play against it. So when I had the opportunity to, to go back to Merrimack as, as the head coach, um, it was one of the first things I decided right away that um, we were going to play the zone, you know, the league we played in the Northeast 10. Um, I think people thought, I was crazy because it's, you know, as good as a shooting league as there is in the country. And, you know, people hear zone and think, well, how are you going to play a zone in a league full of shooters? And it kind of did the opposite. Um, we're, we're very extended. Um, you know, so my, my initial thing was, you know, I wanted to be different. People don't see it a lot. Uh, you know, I always tell people people's stats are their stats against, you know, man to man 90% of the time. So that, you know, 42% three point shooter you have, his shots are coming against man and actions he's working on and rhythm he's getting against man. And it's a little bit different playing against zone, you know, it almost makes people a little flat footed and play straight up and down and, you know, getting shots they're not used to getting. Uh, you know, we, I, I feel like we're always playing against your, your second best offense. And it's something we all put off, you know, even starting to prepare again now for an, an upcoming year. Um, you know, even us playing zone defensively, I always put off zone offense. You know, it's kind of one of the last things you almost get to a scrimmage and it's like, Oh man, I, I got to put a baseline out of bounds and some zone offense. in. so I think we have a little bit of advantage there. Um, you know, we're, we're forcing you to take shots, especially with analytics. Now, nobody wants their guys taking anything but threes and layups and we're really, you know, I know everybody says they take away threes and layups. Uh, if you really watch us and, and look at our numbers, uh, we truly take away threes and layups. So you're taking a lot of, um, you know, twos off the bounce and floaters and runners and rush shots that your coaches don't necessarily want you to take. So, um, you know, there, there's a couple other things, but I, I think what's been great for us is late game. I think, you know, this year we were seven and two in games decided by four points or less. Um, 24 and 11 over the last four years. And I think, in you know, that under four minute timeout, people struggle a little bit. You know, you don't necessarily have that go-to set. Um, you're not going to be able to just let your best player play in a ball screen or play in some space like you might be able to do against man late game. So I think it kind of gets people out of rhythm um, in that last four minutes of a game. And, you know, we're totally comfortable in that rhythm. Well, lots to unpack there and uh, certainly appreciate the, the why of the zone. And I, and I think really, again, what I found unique is your numbers versus the three-point line. So can we can we dive into that a little bit deeper? Because I think the beautiful part about what you're going to talk about is I do believe it applies to man, a lot of the techniques and a lot of the concepts that you talk as much as it applies to zone. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair. Like if I... um you know, one of my assistants says if he ever, you know, got his own job and, um, 
went back to playing man that he would take a lot of the things we do, you know, off of say, you know, some penetration rotations, he would take what we do in our zone and, and kind of enforce it in his, in his man principles. Um, you know, right, right off the bat, I think and initially the, the setup of, of how high and wide we are, um, it, it's really rare that you're going to just get a, a swing, swing three against us. You know, if that ball's just moving side to side, we're almost, um, never going to give up a three. Uh, and, and I think some of that starts with, with kind of the mentality and we really make a huge deal of it. You know, it's almost like, um, if you play for us, you, you don't want to be the guy who just gives up that three. And, you know, the, the forwards are responsible for any first pass three in front of them on the wing. And on that pass from the wing back to the top of the key, that guard better fly out of the high post and, um, take away that three. And and sometimes it's a closeout. Sometimes it's not, we don't necessarily get into technique there. It's just don't let the guy shoot. Um, so right off the bat, we're, we're not giving the, the basic swings up. So now what's going to happen next is, you know, you're either going to have to hit the high post or you're going to have to drive it, or you're going to have to hit the sh- short corner and play. And, um, those are three things, you know, we refer to as punctures. Um, and we spend a majority of our time, you know, working on what we do, um, off those different puncture situations. So you're talking about, so you're not as worried about technique on the closeout situation. No. Uh, you're just, again, you force the reaction, take away the shot, whatever it may be. So then most of the defense then is set up on recovery versus punctures. Is that what correct. you're saying? That is correct. Yep. And, and, and we have some, you know, like we, we um, you know, there's some detail in it, like any time. Uh, of course, yeah. You know, we say anytime you're on your way out, throw two hands up, right? And anytime you're on your way in, uh, we want your hands out. And that's kind of like, you know, if you could picture it, if if you were, uh, you know, our guard guarding the wing and the ball goes to the top, well, that guard that was in the high post is going to fly out with two hands high while you fly back in with two hands out, you know, and, and we get that steal sometimes on a, you're trying to make that quick pass to the nail. And, and, you know, if we're just running in with our hands down, we're not going to get that deflection. So, you know, some of those minor details, but um, you're, you're correct. A lot of it is, you know, we do a ton of reaction drills, you know, a ton of uh, disadvantage, you know, we're going to start with a baseline drive and now we're going to play and, and, and continue the possession from there or, or, or start with a high post touch and, and go from there. So a lot of it is, is reacting to, you know, what eventually is going to happen. So I like this. I've, I've always thought this and, and I don't mean this isn't to knock anyone that obviously loves closeouts and all that stuff, but I found that early in my career, we spent way too much time on the detail of the closeout when the reality of watching my players actually do a closeout was that no matter how much I coached it, they did it their way. Like every individual had this really specific way that helped them do something better than the technique that I was trying to put upon all of them. So I like this thinking that you're, you're presenting about the closeout. Yeah. And I think if you just, you know, for us, it's don't let them shoot. Yeah. Uh, simple. <laughs> And that's, you know, if, if he shoots, if, if you give up a top of the key three, uh, you know, you're coming out of the game and then they'll, they'll figure out a way to, to not let that guy shoot. And again, we're not as worried about the, the dribble penetration because of, you know, how much time we spend on working on, you know, what we do from there. Well, the other part about that then is, so you're saying in this really simple way, don't let them shoot. But now you're giving them the confidence that if they do their job, them and the team is not going to get burned because you're spending all this time on these recoveries and reactions. 
Yeah, correct. And and we have a big, um, I, I believe, I think I saw Mike Hopkins uh, clinic he did. And, you know, he said there's a big difference between contesting a shot and taking a shot away. And we have, you know, that we don't have a, we're not over to over the top with signage and that type of stuff, but we do have a big thing that our players see as they walk out of the locker rooms that says, you know, there's a difference between contesting a shot and taking a shot away. And, you know, I know, um, you know, the numbers would show that if you get a hand, people's percentages go down and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we, we say if they get it off, there's always a shot of it going in. So we don't even want, want it going off. And, um, you know, I went back, you know, a couple of years ago and I took um, our two best shooters and I watched every three they made and 95% of them, someone had a hand up and it, and it really didn't matter. So um, we're really just trying to get that shot not to be taken. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. That's great. And uh, so let's get into these uh, three different situations that uh, you drill constantly and uh, you know that you tactically prepare for. So can you share one of them to start with? Yeah, so we'll go, um, you know, probably the, the most common is, you know, high post. Um, and we have a, you know, A, we're, we're trying to make sure, um, A, we're, you know, we're trying to keep the ball side to side. And then if it does get punctured, we, we'd like that to go in on a lob to give us time to react and get to spots we want to get to. You know, if, if our hands are down um, and you can just zip that ball, you know, kind of on a rope or a straight line to that to the high post, you know, we, we want to move and be on our way to our spots on the flight, you know, five, five guys moving on the flight of the ball. So the biggest thing is, is making sure that ball goes in with a, a little bit of lob on it. So, you know, on, on the flight in, um, you know, re- regardless of, of where it goes in from, you know, it could go in from the top, could go in from a wing. Uh, our, our forwards first step is down um, and they're heading to about one step above the block. And then our guards, uh, their first step is out and, and we make a um, like a big rectangle just off the elbow. It goes from about the elbow to if you have volleyball lines um, and, and up just over the three. And we tell those guards, uh, we call it their box and we say, you know, on the flight to the high post, get to your box and then react from there. So um we do that, you know, my first year, year and a half, we actually tried to match up right away as it went in and we'd get burned a lot, kind of some lack of communication, you know, a short corner may move mid flight on the way in. And it just, we gave up, uh, we still did a good job taking away threes. We gave up a lot of high, low layup stuff. So, uh, we feel like if we have, you know, a step above each block and guards in each one of those boxes on any quick throw out in any direction, um, somebody is always at, at, you know, kind of a step away and, and we can get to it. Um, 
if the ball gets held in uh, the high post, you know, for like a one 1000 count from there, eventually we will match up um, and we won't chase guys all over the place, but uh, you know, it's more, you know, let's say I'm, I'm a, a one forward and you're another and I'm on my way down and I kind of see the short corners on my side. I'm going to communicate with you with like a quick point that I'm good and I got him, And then you can bump that guard out of his box to the top of the key and uh, as you know, there's only so many places on the court you can go. So there's usually, you know, there's a guy at the nail, there's a guy at the short corner, and then usually three perimeter players. So if you're going to hold it in there, um, we will eventually match up. But at first, we want to get to those two boxes and get just above those blocks. So we kind of have the whole court covered. And then our five, our five plays the ball, and that's based on scouting. You know, sometimes we do what, what's called a bum rush, and we'll run right up under that guy and almost kind of foul him with our legs and not even let him turn around to see the high-low. You know, other guys, we may bait into taking that shot. Um, but even that, we, we don't like just giving anyone a free shot. Yeah, no, that's great. So the, dealing with the high post, one of the trouble areas. So what's, what's the second one? So the second one would be um, short corner. And, uh, you know, we do uh, two things. Uh, this year we did not trap it. Uh, if we were to trap, it would be, you know, five and ball side forward trap, opposite forward rim, um, opposite guard. Basically that opposite guard is going to use that box a lot. He gets out to that box outside the elbow and he has any skip. Um, and then the ball side guard has, uh, anything ball side, uh, this past year and, and probably the last two years, we didn't trap the short corner as much. We just played it with our five, uh, opposite forward has the rim. And then the other three guys, same deal. You're almost matched up on the perimeter. The ball side forward has wing, uh, you know, ball side guard have to bump over to that top of the key area and the opposite guard will have, you know, opposite wing, opposite corner. And, you know, you, you initially get to your spots, but, you know, we do some drilling and, you know, we talk about the ball as eyes. So if that on that pivot and that ball starts to see you, you may try to start cheating, you know, over more to the corner. And as he pivots back, you could kind of creep back up towards the ball. And, um, you know, that's something I didn't talk about with the high post, you know, we do that as well. We talk about the ball as eyes. So if that ball turns and doesn't see you, you know, we get some steals that way where, you know, uh, you know, we have our five, we just tell them, you know, you got to guard that first dribble, dribble and a half and stand the guy up. And you know, our guards will come in and poke the ball from behind if, if that ball isn't seeing them. Um, so that's, you know, another way we also create a little bit of chaos. Yeah, I like that. I like that addition to that. And so you've talked about obviously two of the big danger areas and what's the third? And the third will be, you know, dribble penetration. And we're, uh, we're a little bit, I think, unique in that aspect. And um, I think most man-to-man coaches would um, probably vomit um, if they saw us teach some of the things we, we do. But, uh, and it's a fine line, right? We don't want um, guys constantly getting beat off the dribble, right? So we try to, you know, once, if I'm guarding the ball and we have it under control and it's not a rotation situation, you can't be a guy that just continues to get beat off the dribble because, again, you, you'd like to stay out of rotation. Um, but we are running guys off the three so much that it, that it's going to happen quite a bit. Um, so we don't ever really have our guards uh, break the plane of an elbow. So if you, if you were to drive me down that lane line, uh, as soon as you have an advantage and we break that elbow, we just let them go. And... Uh, our thing is we don't ever want, you know, most good defenses, you, you don't ever have to really have two guys on the ball unless it's a, 
you know, some type of double that's a scout thing. So we don't want to get dribbled out of our area too. So if you, if you drive me and I'm, and I continue to slide my feet and fight to get in front, like a, like man to man would teach. And then all of a sudden you jump stop at the block and I have myself and our five guarding you. And then that whole area that you're supposed to be guarding in our zone, uh, you know, they just pump the brakes and, and throw to the fill behind guy for a three. So um, we get a lot of steals with almost just letting the ball go. And then uh, it's kind of the same rotation as a uh, short corner or, or we'll never um, leave a ball side corner. So if you were driving that, that right lane line, the ball side forward is going to, you know, sometimes stun at you, sometimes not even. He's just taking away that ball side corner. Opposite forward is going to come and kind of help the helper with the five who's stepping up. Um, the guard who got beat off the bounce, he's just kind of turning and playing center field at that top of the key area. And then again, the opposite guard gets to his box and he's got any kind of baseline drift or opposite skip to that 45. And uh, a lot of times guys will think they have us beat and, leave their feet and all of a sudden our five steps up and it's a charge or it's a late pass to that opposite corner where our opposite guard is already running and we'll steal that pass. So uh, we get a lot of steals off of uh, how we rotate off of penetration. So this strikes me as the peel switching version for zone. Uh, peel switching coaches, if you remember, Will Voigt talked about that, about not trying to recover and just sprinting to the weak side. So this is a similar thing, which I could not agree with more in the modern game. And you're seeing more and more, certainly at, at all levels of basketball, instead of fighting to recover. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. And to give coaches perspective, because maybe you're you're following this and you're wondering the effect, to just give you, coach gave me some of these um, three-point attempt uh, stats, which is, is Syracuse, Syracuse allowed 28 per game, I think it was, yeah. uh, Eastern Michigan 25, Washington 22, and then you guys 15.6. So you're doing the job in terms of your philosophy about limiting threes and, you know, for traditional zone teams, that's something that you're proving that that is successful for you guys. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's, um, again, it's just a big, um, big emphasis, no threes, uh, no threes, uh, big emphasis on activity and deflections. And, you know, it's over the years, uh, this year kind of all got put together with even our three point, you know, our three point percentage defense was never as good as it was this year. Um, it, it was, it actually was amazing up until this year, uh, our first three years playing in the same league in the Northeast 10, our three point percentage defense was all within legitimately, uh, a decimal point of each other. Uh, and, and what got better each year was, um, the attempts just went down each year. And then this year was the lowest attempts by far. Uh, but that percentage was also very low as well. To me, it also validates a belief that I've had for a long time, which is the thing that we should be teaching most versus zone is how to drive a zone, how to drive and kick a zone. Because again, we, I think too often, especially youth coaches focus on shooting versus a zone. But if you learn how to attack it and you're validating that because you're saying this is the thing we work on the most in a way, because this is the thing we know hurts us the most. Exactly. Yep. And we, you know, like, you know, we talked about a little bit, uh, I think your text and some of the stuff I sent you is, um, we almost love when we see a team that is a, uh, you know, a team that, you know, 46% of their attempts come from the three. We, we usually have really good success against those teams because we're making them do something that they really, really don't want to do. 
That's such a great point. Yeah, no, they're not built to, to, to attack your zone. They're built to attack what they would think is a traditional zone in that way. So um, maybe let's go through some of the myths before we get into a few of the things, because I think your myth buster concepts are really important too. And the, the first myth is that you can only be successful playing zone with great length. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, looking at our, uh, I, I think for division two, we probably did have some, some decent length, you know, those two guards, you know, they're 5'10 and 5'11 with, you know, 6'4, six, 6'5 six, wingspan, which is, is relatively long. But uh, at the end of the day, for a division one starting lineup, we were 5'10, uh, 5'11, you know, 6'3, 6'4, 6'5. And, um, you know, you can't have uh, lack of length and, and lack of effort. Um, but if, if guys are, you know, flying around and getting to spots, and I, I, I would actually take a a quick thinker over a, a, a long guy with a slow brain um, every day of the week. And we had some quick thinkers and uh, you know, I think a lot of with playing in a system and, and doing the same thing year after year is guys get better at the spot they play. Like, I don't know if how much better you really can get a guy at, at defending the ball. Um, well, our wings don't ever guard the ball but they learn how to rotate. They learn how to think a little bit faster. They get a little bit more confidence within their slides. They do it over and over again. And, you know, we had a kid this year that um, was great for us. He, he played about six minutes a game as a sophomore in division two. And, uh, you know, this year he was 25 minute game starter and uh, just had so much more confidence in what he did because it's his third year, you know, playing the same you know, probably we don't assign sides, but he probably runs to the same side of the floor 95% of the time. And he's just been doing it over and over again and it kind of built a confidence level in it. So you alluded to this there about this value of being able to be perceptually better within the zone to be able to make better decisions. And one of your rules is obviously see the next play, which is emphasizing this perceptual side of it. And uh, I'm curious then with that, since you value that, you've talked about that, what are some ways that you develop that in your players? You know, we do a, um, we play a lot of eight versus five, um, which is turns into, uh, it, it can really turn into a scramble. Uh, we, we do that for, for two things. One is, is, is the scramble and, you know, seeing the next play. And obviously there's a lot more offensive players out there than defense. But uh, when, when we do that drill, we also say, if you, two things. One, if, if you're just in the right position on every pass and, and just follow our slides, it really doesn't matter how many offensive players are out there. Uh, and the other thing it does is it, it promotes, you know, just get a deflection. Like sometimes we'll go eight versus five. You got to get three stops in a row to get out. Well, just get a deflection and be active and be aggressive. And, you know, if you deflect the second pass, it doesn't matter if there's 15 offensive players, you know, the ball is going to be ours. So that eight versus five is a big one for us. Um, I think because of the way we play, it just, uh, a lot of our offensive possession and practice turn into scrambles and it's, um, we're constantly saying, you know, guard what's next, guard what's next. It might not be, you might have to be, you know, a guard on one side of the floor and you may have to fly over to the other side to, to just to save a shot, uh, attempt and, and we'll, you know, do some film with that and say, look, what could you have done there? You know, I know that wasn't uh, the basic slide we talked about from day one, but no one else was in that area that could have took that shot away. Um, so we're just uh, and then you build a little bit of a, a stigma and, uh, you know, guys getting on each other and 
Uh, I think it kind of just snowballs from there, but we're constantly saying, you know, guard what's next, see the next play. Uh, and that overrides any rule or slide that we learn from day one. Take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast to share some information from one of our show supporters. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to be on. Also tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather Weather joins BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the Welcome Back to Sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hey coaches, brief interruption from our podcast to hear from Manscaped.com. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing that you can control, and that's shaving your bush. You may be surprised how many coaches have already DM'd me about this special offer. I wasn't, because I'm a user, and Manscaped.com is definitely worth it. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Now back to the podcast. Well, and again, in man experience, end zone experience for me, it's exactly that. It's, it's, if you want to develop the defensive, defensive decision-making, it's all about creating disadvantage recoveries. So create a situation where your defense has to recover and figure it out. And again, it's not always the same blueprint or the same script. And that's where you get true decision-making when you start to empower them to figure it out. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think they have, um, our guys by mid-year, they, they almost have this uh, irrational um, confidence about them defensively. And, you know, they don't, you know, even kind of jumping around here, but we haven't, we've been in a lot of Fowler defend situations over the last four years. Um, sure. At some point, if it happens enough, you get burned on it, but I think our guys would, would legitimately um, boycott, if, if I told them we are fouling here, like their whole thing is we're not giving up three. So why are, why are we going to now foul, you know, up three when we hang our hat on not giving up threes? Love that mentality. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, that's, that's part of the psychology of this, the art of coaching part of that. So that's great. Uh, Coach myth number two is about no accountability, which people often think, well, you know, the one thing about man to man defense is you can always say whose mistake it was, but you can't do the same for zone but you have changed that. Yeah. And we, we, um, that's one of the things I love to personally do, um, after each practice and after each game is, uh, figure out, you know, uh, not only how, you know, what area on the floor, uh, we're giving up points, but whose fault it was. And 
you know, every now and then you could kind of split it between two guys. Well, this guy kind of let it in the high post, but then this guy didn't get out on the, you know, on the flare, on the fan out. Um, but for the most part, uh, it's it's pretty black or white with us. Um, and, and the guys know and uh, haven't didn't have to do it a whole lot this year. But in years past, we'll kind of put it up on a board of, you know, a guy who thinks he's he's defending well and he gave up. 22 points um it's a little easier when you're saying that's your matchup and that guy scored 30 um but uh there's not a whole lot of rotations like we know any point to wing three uh is on that ball side forward and any wing to corner pass because we're not allowing that ball to get to the corner well that's on that forward because he shouldn't ever let the ball get to the corner and you know we'll bring a guy in and and sit down and say, you gave up, you know, 18 points this last game. And, you know, as the year goes on, um, you'll see guys kind of come to the bench and say, oh, that was me. That was my bad. Or, you know, they kind of raise their hand because they know it wasn't, you know, they didn't necessarily rotate the right way we do on, on a penetration. It's really rare um, a- after their freshman year that guys don't know it was it was their fault when a basket's given up. Nothing you could ask for more in a defense than that, that every individual knows their accountability. And uh, I guess with with all this, Coach, for me, one other thing that, you know, has been brought up in our conversations is this train what you do and be great at what you do. And this is something that's held true for you and what you do on defense and what you do on offense. Correct. Yeah. And that's um, I, I think we've always talked about it. Uh, I think it was really huge for us uh, this year. We talked about even more, especially in the preseason. It was great. We had six weeks of summer that we had never had before when we were Division II. Uh, and, and we just say it all the time. We just say be the best trained team at, at what we do. Um, and we don't really you know, worry a whole lot about uh, what our opponents are doing and um, you know anything. You know, I don't have to worry about, oh, did you see uh, the other night the way the Blazers, you know, ice the ball screen and it was cool and there's this new thing and we don't worry about any of that stuff i think you know like i told you it almost keeps me grounded a little bit because um this is our system this is how we defend and our guys know it inside and out and we train it day in and day out and you know then when games come like we we talked about you know early on in the fall it's like who cares if we're playing um you know stonehill and saint mike's have purple uniforms and northwestern have purple uniforms um we're just going to go out and, and do what we do and if we execute it over and over again we'll, we'll give ourselves a chance to win and we even stopped um we don't even put our opponent's name on our on our scouting reports um anymore like we 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 know our pretty sure actually i shouldn't say that there may be a couple guys in our team that actually don't know who we're playing but uh we just we just put game number one game number 17 game number 19 and here's their guys and this is what they do and um let's go execute what we do and and give ourselves a chance to win that's tremendous i I love i love that concept and i'm curious that do you worry about play calls and stuff like that when you're when you're scouting opponents or is it just basically what you guys call it is what you guys know we do, but we also, um, it starts off with what we call it, you know, I guess in, in, in league play when, you, you know, second time around, or if you can get some calls, yeah. um, we, we will go into calls. I, I'm not, you know, over the top that we have to get the call because I also think there's a lot less that you can run against a zone. Um, so, you know, everyone is going to go, uh, 
and inside, you know, we, we call uh, anything going to the middle of the floor inside ball screens or any kind of, um, you know, a step up versus zone. We call them outside. And, you know, everybody in the country runs a guy along the baseline uh, and they go inside, ba- inside ball screen, um, you know, with a wing corner duck in kind of overload on the other side. And, you know, we call that Memphis. Um, as our play so we just call it memphis action and you know if we get a call we get a call if not we just say hey they're going memphis they're going memphis um but we we do you know we are big on on still knowing the actions that they're going to run very cool great to hear and uh you know for for me and listening to you and talking to you i mean some of the things that really stood out for me which i could not agree with more is that the goal is not to be the best workout player in the world for, for, for you as a coach, that's not the goal for your players. Now, you want them to improve, you want them to develop, but can you talk about that within the framework of this, that we don't want them to be workout players? Yeah, so we, um, uh, and, and we do, we, we do spend um, a good amount of, of time, you know, with our guys. My assistants do a really good job, you know, not, not overkill, you know, 20 to 30 minutes getting guys in, some extra stuff. Um a, it's it's usually all based on uh, still how we're playing. You know, we don't do a whole lot of fluff of just a drill to do a drill. Um, but you know, where where I started to think about it is um, a pet peeve of mine is when a guy has a uh, you know a guy works out earlier in the day, and you know, you ask uh, an assistant coach or even even if it's with you, and they have a good workout, and you ask that assistant coach, oh, how was he? Oh, he was great. He was this. He was that. He had a great workout. Um, and then they're just okay in practice when you're actually, um, you know, the, the point is to, um, develop a skill that you can use to help your team win a game. Um, so if, you know, you're working on, uh, you know, coming off a a pin down with a coach and, you know, you took 50 of them before practice. And then all of a sudden we get to the part in our offense where you're supposed to come off a pin down and you just jog the cut and, uh, don't read it the correct way. Uh, what's the point of, of taking those 50 shots before practice if you're not actually going to execute it when the time comes to execute it? Um, and I, I just think, uh, you know, the biggest time to you, you gain some confidence with the player development stuff and the, and the one-on-one stuff. But I think the best time to gain confidence is try your stuff out in practice where there's a little bit of pressure and there's a time and a score and there is a winner and loser. And, and that's how you build true confidence, not just from, you know, going in and making 200 spot shots, you know, that's, that's good at times to make yourself feel good and stay in a rhythm. But um, we, we say that, you know, all the time, you know, don't just be a workout guy, be a, be a winning guy. And then I, what's curious about that then, and, and imagining that you, you've thought about this and, and you deal with this is how are you connecting Cause that's really such a big part of this is yeah, you do your workouts and sometimes they're treated as these really separate things from practice or from games. And that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to connect those two things. So how are you doing that? We try to do it. You know, if, if we were going to, um, if we knew we were going to work on a certain thing in practice on a given day, um, that may be incorporated in that guy's workout beforehand. You know, we're adding a new wrinkle or we're adding a new read to, um, you know, sometimes it's based on scouting. Um, well, this team switches. So we know we're going to, you know, going to slip or screen our own. And, you know, we do take that piece and then work on it with the individual. Um, and that has been great. Um, again, my assistants are, are always in there with, with the guys and, um, and that will translate over to practice. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's, you know, guys, 
it's natural that you're going to love to work out because it's just you, right? And it's um, it's you and one coach and we're all a little bit selfish. Like, yeah, of course you want to get better. And of course you want it to be all about you. But again, I, I always tell our guys, we're not, this isn't track or this isn't wrestling. Um, you know, you're not getting a, a medal for doing 75 Mikans in two minutes. Um, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to do something to help your team win the game. And I, I think, you know, my guys get a kick out of it. Sometimes I'll, I'll say, you know what, stop working out. If you're not going to do it in practice, just stop. You know, I'll stop practice and tell my assistant, Phil, stop working these guys out. All they're doing is getting better at workouts. And, um, you know, I think over time they, they, they get what we're trying to do. Well, this divergent thinking is what the podcast is best known for. So I'm glad you said that, even though, you know, again, there'll still be people doing Mike in a hundred times a day, but uh, Look, I mean, we've got to challenge them in different ways and we've got to challenge them to be better as individuals and as a team in the game. And this builds into this other concept that you and I have thrown around is this concept of tactical periodization. Maybe the biggest word we've ever shared on the podcast, Coach. So you want to try and tackle this together? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And, and again, I, I told you, um, so, so I uh, always thought we, we did do a, a Good, pretty good job of um, just training what we do. And that's, that's part of it. And, you know, I think in my text, like when I sent you the article, I, I, we were on our way home from a game and I just got down a, a Twitter rabbit hole in December. And I came across this article, this guy by the name of uh, Nick Cowell. He's the women's soccer coach at St. Edwards division two school in Texas. And the guys won like over 75% of his games. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty neat. It, it talked about, um, a, they only train, you know, their game model, which is um, basketball as well, right? You have your offense, your defense, you have transition from offense to defense and transition from defense to offense. Uh, and and the, But the second part of it was how they kind of cycled it and uh, kept their players fresh. And so I, I shot the guy an email and um, we've gone back and forth. And what stood out to me, he said it, what it did for him is, um, hey, it kept them very organized and, and not kind of going off script of what they do. Uh, he said he kept his players um, injuries. They haven't had a major injury in four years. And then he the, the biggest part was he talked about um, stabilizing performance and getting in weekly rhythms and um, that the soccer talk was a little probably too thick and dense for me with their different days. Um, I kind of combined them all to all into one. And uh, when we got into league play, we, we followed this periodization. And, and I'll just give you an example. If, if we played on uh, Saturday, uh, we always had Sunday off. Um, and, and their thing was, uh, even if you're trying to do, you know, a game is so uh, emotionally and physically taxing on a player that they're not ready to really learn anything the next day, even if it's film, um, you know, they may be thinking about the shots they missed the game before or how they played or how they performed. And they're not really ready to, to do anything mental that next day. So um, Sunday, we would be completely off. And then Monday, which we'd probably all be ready to get in there and, and kill our guys. That was the still a recovery day. And um, we, we stood to it. Our, our Mondays were two groups. Um, one group would be in the weight room with a little recovery lift and a foam roll while the other group for 45 minutes was, um, you know, almost, uh, you know, dumbing some offense, doing some read and react, you know, three on O stuff, uh, out of playing out of what we call pinches that, you know, two guard purists calls them jungles. And, um, 
you know, some shooting and getting a good sweat, but that was still a recovery day for us. And then Tuesday would be our competitive day. Um, and we'd really get after it and a lot of time and score and probably our longest day. Um, and then Wednesday we would, what they called an activation day is, uh, you know, maybe one competitive thing, but almost now really getting into our, our next opponent for Thursday's game. And, um, that, that we stood to that, you know, Friday, you'd only have one day in between. So, you know, usually that would be kind of just going over the next opponent. Um, maybe guys who didn't play as much may, may do a little bit more on that Friday, but, you know, we stayed with that cycle for the whole, uh, conference schedule. And I, I really don't think we had too many dips in any type of, um, enthusiasm or energy or, uh, injury. Um, we kind of were pretty stable that that whole conference season. So neither one of us, just to be clear, are experts on this, but we've both gone down the rabbit hole and I, I did it years ago, but most of it is related. It, it, the studies are mostly related to soccer and Jose Marino, a uh, famous soccer coach is the one that's made this the most famous with his success, but so many soccer coaches do it. I think un, un, unknowingly, a lot of basketball coaches do too, because yep. traditional periodization it has always been an issue for team sports because traditional periodization seems to be more directed towards individual performance, which is the systematic planning of athletic or physical training. But the aim is to have the best performance in the most important competition of the year. The problem in basketball is the next game is the most important competition of the year. So that's where a lot of this tactical periodization philosophy came to him, which is breaking your weeks into these tactical periods. And as you said, the moments of the game and how all these holistic factors go into preparing for those moments. I cannot encourage coaches enough to kind of, if you're interested, go down the rabbit hole and read a bunch of this stuff. But the fact that you found a practical way to incorporate this within your week, I think is really cool and unique. It's good. And, and it's great stuff. And the other thing I do um, love about it and I do agree with is um, they get right into their game model right away. Um, and his thing was, uh, now, now they're, they're, um, they come back, you know, mid, mid August and they got to be ready for a game early September. So, you know, in, in speaking to, to, to Nick, he, he even kind of admittedly saying, you know, we do have a little bit longer of a, a preseason than they do. So, you know, getting right into the periodization might not be as big a deal for us. Um, but he still thought, um, you know, coming back, uh, getting into how you're going to play as, as soon as you can, instead of just kind of um, just doing some fluff and, oh, we got to get these guys back in shape. And if you can get their minds into um, that game model and they know, right, this is how we defend. This is how we play offense. Um, you know, when a shot goes up, who's crashing, who's getting back, what are you doing? Um, what's your transition attack? And, you know, they talk about the best teams are the teams that are the most together and, I think that word together doesn't mean, you know, everybody takes uh, the same amount of shots that, that together means everybody's on the same page um, as much as possible. And, you know, every game is is as important as the next. If, if you lose your first conference game, um, it could cost you a seed or a playoff spot, you know, two months later. So to start training that game model and training how you play uh, right away so that that you're, you're organized come game time. Um, early on, I think is also a huge part of it. So I've mentioned this before, and I mentioned this to you, is that we went a whole season just doing five on five. 
from the beginning to the end. And it was all based on this concept of tactical, tactical periodization and seeing how much impact it would have. And now we did isolated shooting within spots of praxis, but all the rest of it was five on five, which is getting right to the point. And the whole point of what you call game model and what they call game model is that tactics dictate everything else, right? Like what skills we teach shouldn't be predetermined. They should be determined on the tactics that we choose and that everything from physical, like there's no separation between fitness coaches and the tactical coaches because they exist together. There's no isolated pieces. So all of it is directed towards this game model, as you say, and uh, it's just brilliant stuff. And I think, again, the main thing that I think coaches should consider when they hear you talk about this is that what it does is it helps you remove fluff, doesn't it? It It removes fluff that doesn't help you, your players get better to perform in the game or your team to play better in the game. Yeah. And they talk about how it almost can confuse your players. Um, For example, I, I, uh, this is the second year, my first two years, we did some shell because I thought that, all right, maybe this will help us be a little bit better defensively in man in practice so that it helped our offense and maybe there could have been something to that, but I just stopped doing it because I was like, what are we, I don't want to coach show. We don't coach man. Um, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to coach up our guys when they're defending in man. And you know, that, then it goes into, do you want to be good? Do you want to be competitive? And you know, that those type of more beliefs and, and, and more culture stuff versus spending 10 minutes on shell when we don't even play man to man, it was almost more confusing for our guys. Love it. And uh, again, another thing that I love the phrasing of this because you referred to this is that it really does focus your group on the collective, right? So it's a shared collective intentionality is what some of the, some of the wording and phrasing that comes out of these articles says. And I just love that, like collective intentionality. And you've already referred to this. You said that your players have this collective confidence, and I got to think that comes from just this experience of playing so much five on five, so much of the tactical side of thing within practice that they have this collective intentionality. Yeah, uh, for sure. And it's um, we're, we're pretty simple. And I think people sometimes are, are are shocked when they ask, well, how much time do you spend? Uh, we, we actually should probably be a lot better on offense for the amount of time we spend on offense versus defense. But, um, you know, we, we don't we, we start every single day with. Uh, what we call perfect defense. And that's, um, I love it because it, it, it knows uh, our guys know almost practices is started then. And we went down and watched the Celtic practice two years ago and, and they started with it. And coach Stevens, uh, he said, all right, we're going to go, um, 70%, uh, movement, you know, 70% as far as our effort, but we're going to be a hundred percent talk and a hundred percent positioning. And, uh, you know, we, if we have a hundred practice in a year, we start every practice with what we call perfect defense. And, uh, that's how we kind of build our zone. You know, the first day might just be, uh, basic slides. And then by day three, we're getting into high post and, you know, whatever we do, um, in perfect defense, we'll then end up doing live later in the practice. Uh, and sometime in between, we'll break them into positions and, and some guard forward and, and goalie stuff. But, we really have three segments of about a total of 25 minutes total each day. And, you know, it's been pretty effective. So is that five on five, three on three, four on four? What is the tradition? It's three? five on five. Yeah. That's what five, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. The only time, the only time we're less than five on five 
is when we're in uh, just our positions. Um, and there is some some value to that. You know, we'll just send our guards down one end and our our forwards. And um, sometimes we'll have a third group with, with our fives who we call our goalies. Um, but a lot of times it'll be guards on one end with, with one assistant and forwards and goalies on the other end with another assistant. And I'm kind of going back and forth and that's four or five minutes. And then we, we bring them all together and we're, we're going, you know, some sort of live five on five from there. So we've, t- I've talked about this before on podcasts and certainly in clinics and stuff. And this, this concept of slow learning and the way I phrase it to people is five on five, slow learning is better than five on oh fast learning because they're getting these perceptual repetitions. And that is the whole concept of what you're talking about here. And it cannot encourage coaches enough to just go to this point. I mean, this slow learning has value because they're seeing the whole picture. They're seeing where the defense is relative to the offense, and they're getting this perceptual and decision-making repetition that's going to be a part of their application in the game model. Yeah, correct. And, and we're really, I mean, we're, 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 you know, we, we move the ball really slow in this. We'll move it, hold it. All right. Everybody's where they're supposed to be. Throw it back to the top. Everybody where they're supposed to be. And we're kind of, again, you're seeing bodies in front of you or, um, you know, our assistants will, uh, they, they do a great job. If, if a guy's not paying attention or in the wrong spot, they'll kind of zip the ball to where they're supposed to be to almost show them that, you know, they would have cost us there. So, um, and it, it, Again, it goes back to doing this the same thing each year. Um, you'll see our older guys coaching our younger guys. You know, usually if you're the forward on the left side of the floor, well, when you sub out in perfect defense, you kind of just stand there on that sideline and you're talking the younger guy through it. Um, and it um, kind of builds, uh, again, their their collective responsibility with all those guys um, really to be a good defensive team. The concept applies to offense as well. And I'm not sure if you do it on offense too. Well, no, we, we, uh, we, we do, but not as much as, as we should. We, we do, I wouldn't say we do a ton of five on O, but we do do it. Um, but I, I do see value in, in, like you said, you know, seeing, seeing a body in front of you. And, um, we have done it at times where we have a scout team guard. Um, but I got to figure out a, a, a better way. We can talk about that off here when we could figure out a better <laughs> way to help us. Uh, well, well, and again, I'm not here to say, I'm not here to say don't do five on O because again, as I've had this conversation with the great Doug Novak and Bethel and different coaches like that. And the, the, the structure of five on O is important. Your players memorizing the pattern or getting the pattern is important because from that structure comes their creativity, their ability to be able to break off and make decisions. So I'm not saying don't do five on O I'm saying, Again, it gets to a point where it's useless because it doesn't apply to this tactical tactical model of, you know, making decisions and decisions all start from perception. Yeah, just kind of going through the motions and they could really do it without putting any thought into it. Totally. Yeah. And we want to avoid that in practice because it means they're not, yeah, they're not thinking. And we always want to be able to engage them in thinking because that's how the game's played. Um, anything else stand out for you about this tactical periodization and this kind of model that you've you've progressively started to apply? No, I just um, I, I think uh, it, it probably helped that we were successful um, and, and won so many league games early for me to be able to stick to that schedule. But, uh, you know, I can't. Uh, if you're going to go to it and then all of a sudden you lose, um, you lose Saturday and, 
now you want to kill the guys again on Monday. Um, I think you got to kind of stay true to true, true to the schedule. Um, although uh, I will say this, and, and it was a great phone call. I told you I, I spoke to the coach of St. Edwards uh, about a week ago. Um, and I love this because he said, you know, you won't find this in, in any of the articles. He had a call like the day before with one of the, uh, you know, this uh, – Brazilian guy or some one of the godfathers of, of the tactical periodization. And he said, the one thing um, that kind of supersedes everything is everybody knows their team and everybody's team's different. So um, you're not always just going to follow the same schedule that someone else may follow. And, you know, I kind of, I, I kept trying to give him examples of, okay, this is how I translate it. Is this what you're talking about? And, you know, we had a guy uh, this year, one of our seniors, um, Jaleel Lord, who was just the ultra competitor. And if, if, if you didn't have a couple drills in there with, with a time and a score, um, he was going to not be very happy. And, and when he was in a good place, we were in a good place. So even if it was a day before a game, I mean, I knew a certain drill or two I had to do, almost for his psyche, because I knew the length it would go with him now um, helping out our younger guys and being in a great place when we got to the scout part of it. So um, as much as it's, you know, training your model and, and following a, a way to keep your guys fresh, uh, you also got to know your team and you, you know, sometimes there's some triggers that you may need to do something a little bit different to, to get to those guys. And, um, you know, everybody's different and just, you're going to, you're going to know your guys and what gets them ticking. Yeah. There's so many fascinating things that come out of this. And again, I encourage coaches, I'll, I'll try and tweet it and share it and, uh, have coaches, uh, be able to search some of this research as we, uh, share this model, but, uh, yeah, just tremendous stuff, coach. I cannot thank you enough to be able to share some of this with us. Yeah, this was awesome. Well, we appreciate you and uh, we look forward to more discussions and uh, coaches, uh, you know, definitely follow Coach Gallo and Merrimack as they uh, continue to move forward with their program. They're going to do some great things. Right. And, you know, if anyone has a question or anything of, of anything we do, um, they can feel feel free to, to shoot me an email as well. Gallo J at Merrimack.edu. And, uh, you know, I have a I have a four year old and a uh, two month old, so I can't always say I get back uh, within 48 hours, but at, at some point I will get back to you. Well, you're going to be uh, bombarded probably, so definitely you can't. So that's all cool. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmersion.com newsletter.